You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to the 100th program of Think Again. Think Again is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation that dedicated to social change for over 23 years now. I'm Jennifer Burrell. Jacques isn't here today. Instead, we have Richard Evans. Richard is a criminologist based at Deakin University. He's written on a range of topics such as history of crime, surveillance and policing. His latest book, written with Claire Farmer, is Do Police Need Guns? Today we have him on the program because of his expertise in policing. We're particularly interested in the question of the role and legitimacy of the police, especially in the context of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, the over-incarceration of Aboriginal people, and also all the evidence of racial profiling of African youth by local police. So welcome to the program, Richard. Thank you for having me. Mm, Pleasure. Firstly, Richard, can you tell us a bit about the history of policing in general, including some of the reasons policing has been set up over history and in different places and in whose interests? Okay, well, it's um, a big and complicated subject to sort of uh, compress, but I'll do my best. Um, mm-hmm. Policing is, is a function of any social group, um, any social group of uh, uh, larger than a family, basically, will have some sort of policing function, though not necessarily a police service. Uh, traditional mm-hmm. societies um, in Australia, for example, uh, were clan-based groups. They had no police force as such, but they were self-policing. There would be people within that group who would, uh, you know, if you broke certain rules, you could be ostracised, for example, or Mm. punished in various ways. Mm. That system works um, up to a point, but when your population passes, uh, when your population groups, I should say, pass um, several thousand, it starts to break down and you start to need specialist um, people who are charged with the business of policing, which is to say maintaining the peace. That's the core of policing, uh, getting mm. between neighbours who disagree with each other, uh, preventing and, if need be, um, detecting and punishing crime. And different arrangements to fulfil this function evolved, uh, you know, through medieval times in, in all societies as well, in, in China or India, uh, you will have these this specialist role. Um, and generally speaking, you sort of touched on this, in whose interest was policing conducted? In general, it was whoever was the ruling elite of the day. That, that's, that's a fair mm-hmm. assessment. However, it isn't just a one-way transaction. Um, Policing to be successful, and by successful I mean is just to continue within a social order, it actually has to work for the less privileged people 
uh, within that community to a fair extent. Often they tend mm. to lose out in certain ways, but nonetheless, uh, the society, um, most people in the society have to feel as though policing works for them reasonably well. Otherwise, the system will fall apart. Ultimately, mm. no ruling elite can uh, survive because um, the vast bulk of people, if they really decide to get rid of a ruling elite, uh, they can just come and kill everyone. Um, there is nothing to stop them. Mm -hmm. And uh, a police force, no matter how large, would never be able to do so because they'd be simply overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Now, modern policing, as it's sort of it's normally referred to, is, is often said to have begun in, in London in 1829 where mm -hmm. there'd been a long period of social disorder and, in fact, policing wasn't working. There were systems of police, night watchmen and so on, but they hadn't been working very well because cities, which had previously been quite small by our standards, were growing to perhaps 40, 50, 60, 100,000 people, and the old night watchman based on neighbourhood just wasn't working. And it wasn't working for anyone. It wasn't working for the rich. Uh, they were feeling threatened by all the crime. It wasn't working for the poor either because that's why the crime was happening. Um but the new police that was created in 1829, uh, one of the notable things about them was that they were unarmed. They went mm. among the poor parts of London and they carried a short truncheon under their coat, but that was the only weapon they had. And the idea was that they would try to win the respect and be able to influence the people in poor neighbourhoods so that peace would be maintained and that peace would benefit yeah. both the poor and and the wealthy. Now, that's an ideal and I'm not for, for a second yeah. suggesting that it smoothly unfolded in that way, but that's the origin of our, of our police services. Mm, okay, thank you, Richard. That's what I was about to ask you too, to bring it to Australia. Uh, the history of policing in Australia since colonisation, um, did we, um, I don't think we took on that London model, did we? Some, it, it's a bit of a mix, um, Jennifer. Um, uh, to some extent we did in urban areas, uh, in settled places like Melbourne and Sydney with large urban populations. By the 20th century was broadly speaking the London model that was adopted. Uh, however, as you suggest, that wasn't the, um, the case earlier and it certainly wasn't the case in rural areas. Because Australia was a settler colony and thinly populated by anxious white colonists who regarded the Indigenous mm. inhabitants uh, with uh, fear and loathing at times, perhaps something a bit better mm. at other times, but it certainly it wasn't a happy relationship, let's, let's uh, be blunt. Mm. Um, and uh, in those sorts of circumstances, the model adopted was what was called the RIC model, that's um, the Royal Irish Constabulary. The Royal mm -hmm. Irish Constabulary were established about the same time as the London Police, but they were established, obviously, in, in Ireland. And Ireland uh, was seen as an unreliable place. The Irish were seen as potentially rebellious, as indeed they did mm. rebel later of on. Of course. Um, mm. But um, the RIC model uh, had armed police. Uh, they tended to have rifles. They were mounted on, uh, on horses. They lived in barracks. They were kept separate from the community. Now, generally speaking, the RIC model is seen as a bit of a bad thing by comparison with the London model. It actually had some merit in some ways. However, having immediately said that, 
this model was also used as an agent of genocidal violence on the colonial frontier, mm-hmm. not just in Australia, but also places like Canada and the United yeah. States. Yeah. So it has a very mm. mixed history. But the RIC mm. model dominated in Australia for a long time. And the fact that yeah. we now have very centralised police services, um, just one police force for the whole state of Victoria, just one for the whole of WA, um, yeah. that's a reflection of the fact that it's a very centralised, top-down, controlled service. Yeah, I think that's really interesting that that's been the evolution of our model and it's not the case in other places that they do have more localised police and community based police, I guess. Uh, absolutely. In, um, mm. uh, in, in Britain, which, you know, yeah. okay, it's a bigger country people-wise, but there are 40, 30 or 40 different police uh, services. Yeah. Um, so, in America, uh, it's even more fragmented. There are about 16,000, most of them oh, tiny. that's incredible. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's a bit yeah, of a mess that's quite, there. That's, that's yeah. quite an eye-opener. Yeah. yeah. So on that note, we'll go to some music, uh, Occupy Truth by Candy Royale and just a warning, the music does contain the F word for people who might be offended. I know it seems crazy, but sometimes words fail even me. Wordlessness is them spreading their disease, so we have no words for this mess. This unravelling world, right hand bent at wrist, writing is my microscope. A lens through which I try to magnify Thoughts teetering on the brink Of both hopeful philosophies and hopelessness And maybe I'm just one human being Standing bare before many more Asking we stand together to batter back the lies That to liberate us all Trapped in a cycle of death Working until death That's not living It's not life It's not okay We need to occupy thought Occupy the minds of the enemy so they know we are everywhere. Wear the global rhythm that beats miles apart from the brain and instead starts with the heart. And though it's true our revolution will not be televised, we'll spread the word and open closed eyes because try as they might, they can't control us online. Yeah, occupy truth. Let's occupy love. Show them that the removal of emotion from politics is dangerous for humanity. How can violence, destruction, occupation, poverty, starvation not move us emotionally? If we occupy hearts, we move as one solid mass, beating beings, belonging, bringing beauty back as a form of attack. How can we exist in the midst of all this shit and still be? Because many bodies moving in the same direction means we move free. Let's occupy truth. So fuck robotic authority. We'll occupy those spaces deemed private property. Protected by people in blue and green. Minions purporting to be supporting the people. They're just rorting us people. We can't get off at the next station, people. We're stuck on this train heading one way and it's up to us to derail this global game of Monopoly. We'll occupy this mess where centralized social solo suffering evolves into other things. Epitomized by defensive oligarchy, protecting confused ideas of belonging in separatist violent occupied colonies, behaving gracelessly full of hatred and fear. Occupy truth. Yeah, they fear us. They fear us and are mobilized. 
rising against dissent. They fear us, they fear you, they fear me. Spreading truth and knowledge will occupy this mess where hate of color and creed, hate through religion generates more money than you, me, are ever gonna see. Believe me when I say we can occupy that state of mind that persists to deny we are one people being separated by concrete, fences, arm deals and small numbing pills. Let's occupy truth. Yeah, occupy truth. Knowledge is our weapon. We bear our own arms in the dissemination of facts. We can't relax. This war is intensifying. Their veiled systems have to collapse. Let's gather power. Yeah, occupy truth. Embody it so it's on every inhale, on every exhale. Make it your lifeblood so that it courses through your cells. So every footstep takes us forward, moves us towards freedom from our oppressors. Freedom from our aggressors comes when we occupy truth. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today I'm talking with Richard Evans, a criminologist from Deakin University, and we're looking a a bit at the history and the role of policing in modern society and, and of course, in Australia. So, Richard, continuing with uh, policing uh, in the present day, in your recent book, do police need guns? You argue that uh, policing under certain conditions is essential for the peaceful functioning of modern society. Uh, so I was really interested in that, in that because given all the recent questioning of the legitimacy of police, particularly with Black Lives Matter movement and calls to defund the police, I'm really interested in um, the role of police and the legitimacy of police and that idea of having a community mandate. So I'll just pull a, um, a statement out of your book. You state with Claire Farmer, you state, quote, our central position is that a professional and disciplined police empowered to use violence on behalf of the community according to the law and accountable to an independent judiciary is essential for the peaceful functioning of modern society, unquote. So I looked at that and my problem with it is that it seems to imply that the community or society is one thing that the police are acting on behalf of and that society and that the its interests are one thing which police are protecting I guess um, it seems to also that statement seems to depict an intertwined police law and judiciary all working in the interests of this one cohesive community in which everyone implicitly has a, an equal status. So I guess I'd present an alternate view that our society is deeply inequitable, becoming more and more so, and that society's institutions work to preserve this system in the interests of fewer and fewer people. And um, I know this is a bit of a mouthful, but we'll get, well, I'll ask you to respond to this in a moment, Richard. Sure. Because, um, yeah, because I'd also argue um, this 
this inequity in relation to race in particular is played out in the actual operations of the police. So it's not just that the police are acting on behalf of the people in power, but it filters into the way they actually operate. And it's um, and a, a good example would be um, the stats showing the high incarceration rates of Aboriginal people, uh, which leads to their high rate of death in custody, as we know. And um, this was, um, I think, really highlighted by Aboriginal woman Ver- Veronica Gorry, who wrote uh, Black and Blue, and she was in the Queensland Police Force. And just to quote her, she says, quote, the policing system is not designed for black people. It was derived from a colonial system and it's there to cater to white people. So I guess after all that, what would you say to that, Richard? Do you, do you really believe that a professional and disciplined police empowered to use violence on behalf of the community is essential for the peaceful functioning of modern society, especially taking into account all the disparities in power and resources between the different groups? Okay, um, a long question, which um, yes. I'll do my best to answer, uh, and a very good question. Um, first of all, I, w- I want to say that I'm entirely sympathetic with um, uh, Gori's uh, views, um, uh, her particular experiences in Queensland policing and her articulation of them are a very valuable reminder that reforming police, making police work for people who have traditionally been marginalised is extremely difficult to do. Mm. And it's extremely difficult because the structures are set up in such a way that reflect how they were set up in the first place, which in the case of Queensland was, uh, you know, uh, the fairly openly genocidal policing, uh, mm. at least at some stages of the in the end of the 19th century. I also agree completely that if you look objectively at our system and what it does to Indigenous people in terms of their rates of arrest, incarceration, deaths in custody, uh, goodness knows what else. Um, uh, There is no question the system, objectively speaking, is racist in its operation. It may not be every Mm. person within the system intending it to be that way. Some of them doubtless are racist, but you don't need that to be the case. Its objective operation, as you say, is is racist. Uh, Mm. You can't you can't escape that. So I accept all of those things as being completely valid. The question, though, mm-hmm. is, well, what would something better look like? Mm-hmm. If you accept that um, we have a, uh, uh, a an imperfect society in Australia, and I do, and that Indigenous people, for example, not alone, but nonetheless, Indigenous people are an obvious example of a marginalised and uh, discriminated against minority who suffer terribly at the hands of the criminal justice system, and that's clearly the case. Well, what then must we do? I think that you could make all the policy changes that you could wish for, improved education, improved housing, improved kindergartens, um, uh, you know, uh, a cultural dialogue which emphasised respect between different faiths and um, uh, racial traditions and cultures and so on. And you could implement all of those things as well as you are able. And you would still have an imperfect society, but, hey, it might get a bit better. Let's imagine that you do this and you have five years Mm -hmm. of a, a good government working hard to do these things. You'd still need a police. 
you would mm. still need a police and those police would actually have to be able to exercise violence. I hate violence. I'm a very peaceful person. Uh, one of the things that we wrote about, Claire Farmer and I, my colleague, wrote about in the book Why Do Police Need Guns is well, we actually would like police to use guns much less than they do um, yeah. because we don't think that they're necessarily uh, a good thing. Mm. However, in a, in a large and complex society, violence in the end has to be exercised by someone and the model of mm. police in which it's exercised on behalf of the community. Now, you immediately question that community and I completely sympathise with that. Our community is unfair and unjust and unkind and that reflects in the community values which are policed. I get that. But it's an ideal. If you improve your community, you can improve your policing and improving policing can be part of the solution to the problem. It can be part of helping your community become more inclusive, uh, less violent, less discriminatory. Is that happening mm -hmm. in Australia right now? Um, no, I don't think so, at least not in the area of uh, uh, Indigenous um, police relations. Mm -hmm. I will say, however, I've seen it happen in other areas. I've seen mm -hmm. certainly seen it happen in my own lifetime in uh, the LGBTQI, etc. communities, um, mm -hmm. the, uh, particularly for gay men who used to be the targets of illegal police violence quite frequently. Yeah, um, and I, and you've yeah, seen some change in that. Sorry, you've seen some change in that area. We will need to go to a, a brief announcement and, and come back, but I didn't want to cut you off either. <laughs> sure, so right. if you'd like to finish that thought. Uh, merely that um, it used to be that there were bad police, let's be blunt, who used to go out on what was called, and I apologise for the expression, but this is what was used, was called poofter bashing. They would go out to gay men's beats in parks and so on, and they would pick up people who were uh, gay men out for, you know, looking to find mm -hmm. a, a sexual partner, and they would bash them up. And there would be mm -hmm. no consequence for that because of the social stigma and, and so on. Now, that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, a gay man who's mm -hmm. been assaulted, in my community anyway, can go to the police confident that they will be listened to and taken seriously and mm. that they will be given the protection of the law. Mm. And that's a change that's really occurred in 30 years um, or so. Thanks. It's still not perfect, but um, yeah. it's an example. Thanks, Richard. We'll go to a brief announcement and come back shortly. 3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June, and this year we're asking you to be part of community-powered radio. It's only with your support that we're able to be independent, community-controlled, and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference, and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. 3CR Community Powered Radio. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today I'm talking with Richard Evans, who is a criminologist from Deakin University, about the place of policing uh, and 
community legitimacy, I guess, in modern society. So I guess my last question, uh, Richard, uh, there are many people um, are talking about defunding the police, uh, saying yeah. it's simply... Um, um, which sounds really over the top, but a lot of people advocating for this say it's not so crazy. It's simply about narrowing the role of police and investing in services to address social issues such as mental health and homelessness, which has been done in numerous countries, um, rather than, for example, having a first police response uh, when issues come up in the community. So do you agree with this or do you think we should just focus on improving how policing is done? <clears throat> I think this is an example of where an expression borrowed from a different community doesn't translate well. Um, mm. If I was in America and critical of the police, I would actually cheerfully chant defund the police. I wouldn't do it here mm. because mm. the situation is different. I mentioned before that there are 16,000 or something like that police services in America. Most of them are local. Most of them are run by cities or counties and their budgets are also local. And the mayor of a a city of, say, 40,000 people in America will also be in charge of the police. That city will also have to fund its local hospital and its local schools and mm -hmm. kindergartens and things as well. Now, in Australia, for all our faults, um, our uh, provision of basic services is much more even and much better. We, you know, our, our state schools are consistently pretty good. It doesn't matter if it's a poor neighbourhood or not. Um, in If you're in a place where 60% of a county's budget goes towards the police, and that's not an unrealistic thing, you, you can find mm. places like that, then mm. I would say, yes, defund the police. Let's invest in schools and, and kindergartens and healthcare instead. Mm -hmm. um, we don't need to make that choice. We're a rich community. Uh, we sometimes don't behave like it, but we actually have the resources to do both. We well, can actually um have... Sorry, I just, just just very quickly, yeah, go on. There, there is no reason why we cannot maintain current funding for police and do lots of excellent stuff in those areas like schooling and, and healthcare and community yeah. services and mental health provision. We can do that without uh, stripping Victoria Police of its funding. There is no need for it in the way that there might be in an American example. Mm. I, guess, uh, I guess some of the examples talk about first responders too, like the first responder for mental health. Um, a lot of people would argue police aren't necessarily the best people to um, respond when someone's having a psychotic episode, for example, in the community. Uh, absolutely. And indeed, that, that, that's true. Uh, the police would agree very often. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there are actually programs which have been trialled and I'm I do approve of these by Victoria Police in which they actually yeah. have clinicians available um, on patrol, as it were, so they can actually yeah. be part of the first response. Um, well, and I agree, mm -hmm. more funding for, the, for those things would be a, 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 an, an excellent thing and there's, mm. there's room for that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Richard. The time has gone, galloped away much too fast, and but you've given us, I'm sure, lots of food for thought and a lot of people, I'm sure their brains are whirring listening to all of this and we'll, have, we'll follow up some of these themes in following programs. So thanks very much for sharing your insights and expertise today. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. It's been great. Mm -hmm pleasure. So um, we'll come to some community service announcements. So looking at whose interests Police Act in, 
Uh, the devastating conflict in Gaza should give us pause to think uh, because crackdowns by Israeli police on Palestinian gatherings and protests in Gaza have, have we know have been key triggers in um, the recent serious escalation of violence. So you can show your support for the Palestinians on Saturday, 22nd of May, 1pm at the State Library in Melbourne. Uh, that's in commemoration and resistance of 73 years of Israeli colonisation. Uh, also today, Friday, you can protest with School Strike for Climate and tell the Morrison government that if they care about our future, they have to stop throwing money at gas. So in other words, tell the fossils in the federal government to stop burning fossil fuels, <laughs> digging them up and burning them. Uh, the protests are in various locations today, Friday. Uh, one is in Melbourne, uh, 21st of May, this is 1pm in the Treasury Gardens. For other protest locations, just put SS4C in your search engine. That's the number four in SS4C. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio today. If you want to send us a message or ask about anything from today's program, you can email Borderlands borders at borderlands.org.au. Our programs are available by podcast and via the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. And thanks again to Clive Bourne for technical production and for music selection. Meanwhile, stay tuned for the following program, Jailbreak, which gives a voice to our sisters and brothers in prison. To bring us into this program, we have World Turning by Yothu Yindi. I've been- 